Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I am absolutely delighted that you are here with me today because today I'm going to talk about a topic that is really pretty near and dear to my heart. Why so? I'm going to be talking with you about what I believe to be the 10 top concerns of breastfeeding mothers in the first 10 days. And why is this so near and dear to my heart? Well, because from the very days when I was a very young nurse, yes, I was young once, uh, these are the things that I have found that moms get real worried about, real hung up on. And I also, in the old days, we used to have better statistics on this. Now they don't look at the first 10 days statistics so much as they used to, or at least not that I can find. But I will tell you that both from reading statistics and from just dealing with a lot of nursing mothers over many, many years, so many of them have said to me, well, yeah, I sort of breastfed my last baby, but, uh, well, you know, I kind of quit after a week or so. And the folks who are in the WIC offices tell me the same thing. So I've got to believe that there's something to it, and I want to save you from that, okay? And I also want to tell you that when your friends have said, oh, breastfeeding was so wonderful, I loved breastfeeding, blah, 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 they're generally not talking about the first 10 days, okay? And I think it's just really important that you get a grip. It's a little bit like anything new. When the If you can ever remember... I don't know, maybe your first 10 days at college. I remember my first 10 days at nursing school very precisely. And let me tell you, it was anything except fun or pleasurable. It was was a pretty rude awakening, really. So remember, you're new at this. The baby is new at this. And that's just kind of the way it is. So don't expect it to just all be simple. But I think that I can take what I believe to be the top 10 concerns that I've heard in the first 10 days and give you some reasons to be reassured and help you to know when you really do need to worry and when you need to get help. And I believe that most of that stems from this thing. This is so important. Asking the right questions. Okay. I truly believe that if you can ask the right questions, whether you are, I don't know, lost on a trip Or if you are trying to nurse your baby, if you have enough questions, you're going to get to where you're going. Okay? So, here's the first one. Baby is too sleepy, mother says to me. Uh, Okay. Well, babies are sleepy in the first 24 hours. I have also been a labor and delivery nurse, and I can tell you that my response to that is always just remember, he had a long, hard trip. Labor is called labor because it's a lot of work for the mother, but trust me, it's a lot of work for the baby, too. So sometimes these babies are born, and it's like, okay, I'm done here. I'm like just so done. Just let me just kind of just take it easy for a little bit. So 
I wouldn't worry a whole lot about that. Now, here's another thing, too. I believe, and I do not have good evidence for this other than just having helped hundreds of women, but if the baby has not been exposed to medications during labor, generally they will get born and start suckling within the first hour or so. Now, we do have good evidence for the first hour or so. The medications is what's more controversial. But anyway, uh, that's what I would say. Uh, For sure, if they have had an unmedicated labor experience, they will probably suckle within the first hour. But after that, what do they do? They conk out, okay? They go into a deep sleep, and that's okay. And so also during that first day, and I'm going to say the first 24 hours, because we know that babies are born during the day, they're born at night, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But in their first 24 hours, I think what you'll find is the baby is kind of like, okay, you know, I got to where I'm going. Just let me unpack my suitcase here and let me just get a little rest. That is not at all uncommon. I think the big question comes How soon do you worry about whether or not the baby is getting enough food? I'm hesitant to answer that question because, again, I think the evidence is not real clear on this. What I would say is that I've worked in some hospitals where the doctors get really, really nervous when the baby hasn't eaten in three or four hours. I've worked in other hospitals where they don't really worry about it much at all in that first 24 hours, and with the rationale being that the baby is born with, uh, how should I say, reserves, I guess would be the right word. And so it may or may not be worrisome if you have a full-term, healthy baby who has no issues. Notice I'm making a big qualifier there. But uh, truly, I, I would make sure that I talked with my pediatrician about my particular baby. I would want to be an advocate for my baby, but I also would not get in a panic if I found that he was a little less than eager in those 24 hours, that first 24 hours. Now, the other thing that you need to ask yourself along with this is, like, what would a normal sleep period be? Well, uh, generally, sleep cycles for a baby that's in utero, that is during pregnancy, or a newborn, not later, but during, during that newborn period, okay, uh, sleep cycles are somewhere in the 30 to 40 minutes neighborhood. But you might not be noticing that. You might think that the baby is just having this super, super long sleep, and that might be possible, but I would also say there are some other things that are possible. Maybe the baby woke up, and it was momentary, and then he just went back to sleep. Haven't you ever done that? <laughs> I have. I did that just, just the other day. Uh, here's another thing. Sometimes they are awake, but uh, the parent doesn't see it because the baby is in a central nursery. Okay, well, that's a good case for rooming in. If you want to make sure that you see your baby when he wakes up, then rooming in is the way to go. And by the way, I want to be really clear in uh, saying to you, you're, you're going to say, well, yeah, but Marie, don't you think that the the nurse would bring the baby in? Uh, maybe. But I would also say, 
I'm about as much of a breastfeeding advocate and I am about as uh, committed to getting a baby out to the mother when he wakes up hungry. But you know what? I got a lot of kids to take care of. Sometimes I just can't do all that. Now, here's the other thing is that sometimes the baby is awake. You are rooming in with the baby, but sometimes he gives very subtle cues. So we have told you, oh, wait until the baby wakes up. And when he's doing oral searching or what I call sucking in the air, uh, when he's doing, yeah, that's great. But some of them just don't. Sometimes what you'll see is no more than the baby having his eyes opened. And she might be trying to put her hands together at the middle of her chest. That might be all you see. You might not see the hands at all. You might see the feet, except that they're probably covered up with the blanket. If the baby starts to bring both of her feet together and she's got her eyes open, well, that might be the only two clues that you get. So I'm sort of trying to say to you, remember that sometimes these babies are not completely asleep for these extended periods and it's really important to just watch them the other thing is that almost every mother is worried about whether or not the baby is going to latch well you know sometimes if you just put the baby skin to skin with you she will latch even if she doesn't look like she's awake and in fact, sometimes that actually works better. I have seen babies who are still sort of not really fully awake, but they're like, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe I could do this. Okay. And so, bam, they wake up, food's there, and they decide to latch. So I wouldn't worry so much about that if you gave the, op- the baby plenty of opportunities for skin-to-skin contact. Now, the opposite of all of this is that the baby cries continually. And I've heard parents say that, too. Well, and this happens a lot in the first 10 days. Can't get him to go to sleep. All right. So let's go on the assumption that babies do need to eat. They do get hungry. There's no doubt about that. But I think it would be good if you would ask yourself two questions. Why is the baby crying? And how, how, where does this fit with the amount of feeding that he has done? So if the baby has had at least eight good feedings in a 24-hour period, you're probably good to go. Now, not necessarily the first day, not necessarily the second day, but by about the third day, yeah, I'm really thinking that baby should be having eight good feedings. And I want to quantify what constitutes a good feeding. So many times the parents will tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, he nursed for 45 minutes. Ooh. That is not a good thing. Most babies can get most of the milk that they are ever going to get in the first five minutes or so. Will they get more after that? Yes. Are there some that just get there and kind of putter around? Yes, I've seen them. That might be your kid. I got it. But these very extended numbers of minutes, that's not a good thing. You should be hearing the baby swallow. If you are hearing the baby swallow and she's going suck, suck, swallow, suck, suck, swallow, suck, suck, swallow, that's good. Okay, that is good. But the number of minutes, sometimes you can see a baby with her jaws going up and down for 45 minutes. That does not mean that she's getting any milk. 
unless you hear those swallows. Now, along with this, remember I asked you to look at what your other question would be. Your other question should be, why is the baby crying? And oh, by the way, being hungry is one of those reasons, but not the only reason. Some babies cry because they're lonely. They want to be nursed or at least cuddled. Some babies are gassy. They need to burp. Some babies are uncomfortable. They kind of squirm around and they want to get changed. Other kids don't care if they're changed or not. Some babies want less stimulation. There's too much light or too much noise or whatever. But other babies want more stimulation. They're bored. They want something else to do. Some babies are too hot or too cold. And here's one that most people overlook. Some babies have a very painful problem that is not obvious to the rest of us. And I am very convinced the older that I become, and I wrote a lot about this this summer in a book that I was writing, uh, which is babies who have birth trauma. Sometimes it's visible. Sometimes it's not. That baby could be crying because he's in pain. All right. Now, on the other side of the break, we're going to come back, and I'm going to tell you some other questions that you should be raising with the other concerns that I know you have. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto at Born to be Breastfed. I'm delighted to have you here today. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of. Please send me questions at radio at borntobebreastfed.com. We really value your comments and your questions. And by the way, uh, we have actually put together a couple of shows based on questions uh, about things that listeners have written in with. So believe me, we do want your comments. The second thing I'd just like to remind you of is that this is the season when I will be giving my comprehensive uh, lactation course if you're interested in earning your IBCLC credential. I'm also running my review courses. So you can go to my website at breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. And uh, you will see that I've got those advertised there in case you're interested. Okay, so next thing is number three. Number one was baby is too sleepy, doesn't latch. Number two was baby cries continually, won't sleep or won't latch. Number three, baby loses weight in the first few days. Well, that's true. Um, I'm not at all sure that every baby in the world experiences weight loss in the first few days, but at least here in the United States, many of them do lose weight in the first few days. It is fairly, I don't know if I want to say normal, but it's certainly very common. I would say nearly all of them lose at least a little weight in the first few days. And as a matter of fact, it is not at all uncommon for newborns to lose 7% of their weight during the first two to three days or so. And then it takes them a while to gain that weight back. So, for instance, we used to say, and by that, by used to, I mean up until about last year or so, we said that the baby had to regain their weight, uh, get up to their birth weight, in other words, within two weeks. And in their recent protocol, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine said that a little more than 97% of newborns, and I'm quoting directly here, said, a little more than 97% of newborns regained their weight within three weeks. And that's a direct quote from their 2017 protocol. So don't worry if your baby doesn't regain his weight by two weeks. It might be three weeks. To me, the important part is, is the baby going in the right direction? Is he making weight gains? And are those weight gains progressively a little better as he going somewhere? Then I think that that's really, really important that you understand that. Now, here's another word of caution, however. My question to you is, 
did you have epidural anesthesia or epidural analgesia? If so, remember that in order for that epidural infusion, you have to have a lot of extra IV fluid on board, which means you are like super hydrated. You've got a lot of fluid running around your body. Uh, presumably you had this in labor. Uh, there are uh, several studies out there now. Uh, the one that I found the most helpful was Carolyn Chantry's study, and that's a, a few years old. There are some other studies that have been done before as well as after her study. But basically what she showed, a very well done study, basically what she showed was that this extra fluid that the mother has on board from her IV contributes to what you and I could, would probably refer to as water weight for the baby. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So here's the thing. The baby is born. Some nurse like me puts him on the scales. And we presume that that weight that he weighs the, when he's first born, we presume that that is his baseline weight. When in fact... Maybe it isn't if he's got a whole lot of extra fluid on board because you had a lot of fluid with your epidural infusion. So here's what I would do. I would not be complacent about this, and I don't want you to be complacent about this, but I would have this discussion with your pediatrician. I would like not go nuts about this, but I would have a discussion. I would look at all the factors that were going on and see if this weight loss is attributable to something that is, you know, pretty explainable and if it's going in the right direction or the wrong direction. And pretty much everything that I'm going to say today is about the normal, full-term, healthy baby with no issues. As soon as you start having babies that are less than full-term or babies that have issues, that's a different discussion. Okay, so that's concern number three. Here's concern number four. The baby has jaundice. Okay, well, the question that you should raise here is, why is your baby jaundice? There are different types of jaundice, and I don't want to take the time to go into all of that today. But jaundice is a yellowish discoloration of the baby's skin. And it's due to these extra red blood cells that the baby can't break down, okay? And babies just have a very immature liver. They don't do real well with breaking down red blood cells. So this is sometimes called physiologic jaundice. Some doctors have called it idiopathic jaundice. And I would be quick to say that uh, it's sort of not normal, I suppose, because one does need to break down those red cells, but it's very common. And it's common in both breastfed and formula-fed babies. So this so-called physiologic jaundice should not in any way be confused with what is called breast milk jaundice. Now, people get confused with this. They think that just because the baby is breastfed, feeding that he has what is called breast milk jaundice, and that's just not true, okay? And actually, I think that, oh, geez, um, I think somebody just came out with a new term for it as well. But anyway, this jaundice that happens because of some unidentified 
component in human milk is called generally breast milk jaundice, and it doesn't even start until the baby is about two weeks old. So we're just talking today about babies that are less than 10 days old. So if your baby gets jaundice in the first few days, it is not breast milk jaundice. It is not due to something in your milk, okay? Really want you to get clear about that. And by the way, breast milk jaundice is extremely uncommon. Now, the old school philosophy was that you know, the baby needed to get water in order to be prevented from getting jaundice. And honestly, this just drives me kind of out of my living mind. This was put to rest in an absolutely brilliantly done study in 1982 by Dr. Di Carvalho. And Dr. Di Carvalho, if you're out there and if it was 1981, I, I apologize. But anyway... Um, he really did a lot of studies in those two years. So in this classic study, De Carvalho showed that actually the more frequently a baby nursed, the less likely he was to become jaundice. So you don't want to be giving the baby the water or the formula. You want to be able to give him your milk because you have colostrum in those first days and colostrum has a laxative on the baby. Okay, that laxative effect, I should say. So he eliminates through his stool this bilirubin, and this is why it's just hugely important. The American Academy of Pediatrics names key guidelines for the management of newborn jaundice, and here is one of those key guidelines, and I quote directly, promote and support successful breastfeeding. Similarly, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, in their recent protocol by Flairman and, uh, and Meisels, I can't forget Meisels here, uh, Jeff Meisels has been doing this for, I, I don't know, decades that I can remember, and they say on page 253, and I quote, do not supplement infants with anything other than mother's own expressed milk in the absence of a specific clinical indication which is kind of their way of saying if the baby's got a different issue or if the baby is not full term, that's a different story. But in the meanwhile, no, this is not what you do for jaundice. So what's my take-home message here? My take-home message is that if somebody tells you that your kid needs to go under the lights and cannot have your milk, et cetera, et cetera, you need to question that. It's certainly possible that your baby needs that kind of treatment, but and, and it's possible that your baby doesn't need your milk. But I would say that often those things are overdone. Be sure to raise that question if you're feeling uneasy. Okay, next one. <laughs> Mother's nipples are sore. Uh, yeah. Well, I could talk about this for weeks, weeks and weeks. I could probably do four shows on this, but... Let's understand one thing before we move on, and that is that nipples really might be more tender or more sensitive during the first few days. That, that's absolutely possible. In fact, I, I would say it's pretty common. But if your nipples are cracked or discolored or blistered or have any other signs of trauma, that is not normal. And you've got to really like get with it real quick because it 
it needs professional help. And I can tell you, I don't know if I've ever seen this written anywhere, but I can tell you that it almost always is due to a poor latch. Is it possible that you have some other oddball thing, some, you know, is it possible you have yeast or Ray nose phenomenon or something? Oh, yeah, sure, it's possible. But it's highly unlikely, okay? And does it have to do with the number of minutes that you breastfeed? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, in his classic article, Dr. Michael Woolridge said it best. He said that uh, if a baby is attached to to the breast correctly, any amount of suckling is likely to result in sore nipples. So, really important, get help if you have a poor latch, or as my friend and my guest, uh, Pamela Douglas says, fit and hold, whatever you want to call it, but get help, get help, get help, and you will know from my show with uh, Wendy Jones that putting some cream on your nipples is unlikely to do the job. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm so glad you're here today because I get to talk about these things. And and by the way, if you just think I'm wrong, you can tell me. But I really do believe that these are the 10 things that I have heard most frequently in the first 10 days that moms worry about. And then often they end up giving up breastfeeding. And I'm, I really want to save you from that. All right. So here is, oh, no, well, 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 before we get to that one. Uh, Here's the next one, which is mother has engorgement and is uncomfortable and thinks that it's bad. All right. Well, let's just back up a minute because the question you should ask yourself here is, is engorgement normal or not? Well, yes, engorgement might be normal. And why do I say that? I say that because we expect the breasts to fill up with milk, right? That's what lactation is. That's how you nurse. You get milk in your breasts. And so physiologic engorgement is a good thing because the breasts are filling up with milk. And yes, they should feel like they're filling. They might feel uh, full. Uh, They might feel tender. All that is normal. However... There is the other thing, which is pathologic engorgement, and that is not normal. By that, I mean I have seen women who have engorgement where the milk is absolutely like they're, they're kind of coming apart at the seams. And the only thing I can explain that is, is their breasts feel rock hard. They are as hard as a rock. I'm deliberately telling you that twice because there is okay like if you take your fingers right now and if you press on your chin that's what it feels like if you have this pathologic engorgement that is not normal so you say well marie so why would i get this pathologic engorgement generally it's because you're not having the baby at breast often enough and i would say that for some people uh, it doesn't take very long for them to get that way. For other people, it can be just, uh, it can be several times. It kind of depends. But what I also want you to understand is that if you are constantly putting that baby to breast, putting the baby to breast, putting the baby to breast, there is a high likelihood that you will be able to avoid it. Now, that should give you another question, which is, Marie, do I need to nurse on both sides every time? Um, no, not really. But I would say, 
you do need to do it enough so that both breasts, so that the milk is coming out of both breasts in those first few days. Because otherwise you could end up with this bad or physiologic engorgement. But ideally, what you have is just a fullness or a feeling of filling. That was a tongue twister, a feeling of filling. And that's all good. Okay. But I also want to let you know that this engorgement really differs a lot from woman to woman. And I say that because this is a very old study that most people are not aware of, but it was the study done by uh, Hill and Humanek. And uh, Pam, pardon me if I got this wrong. It might have been uh, Humanek and Hill. I never can remember which one of you is which. I mean, I know you when I see you. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, this study, they showed that there were really four different types of ways in which women experience uh, engorgement. Here's one. It's one episode of a firm, tender breast followed by a rapid decline in the signs and symptoms of engorgement. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, multiple peaks of this same engorgement feeling. And that's followed by a rapid decline in signs and symptoms each time. For some, it is an intense episode of engorgement in which the signs and symptoms persist for two weeks. Now, I have to tell you, I have not seen many of those cases, but having been, not always, but most frequently a hospital nurse, I'm not going to follow people around for two weeks. So there's a part of me that thinks that maybe we don't have a lot of those, but I'm not sure I'm the person to ask. And then finally... There are just slight breast changes with little or no perceptible uh, feelings of engorgement. I have definitely had women tell me that. Oh, it's day three or it's day four. Or in the old days, shucks, we used to keep them seven days. And there were still some women who didn't really have much of a sensation of engorgement. So in one breath, I want to say it's important that you do have changes. You need to have some sensation. You do need to be filling, absolutely. But if you're expecting it to come in with a big swoosh, uh, it just doesn't happen that way for some people. Uh, If you're expecting it to be intense, um, sometimes it isn't. So I think it's really important that you know that those changes are happening, but it just might not be like somebody else. Honestly, the only way I can describe this is it's a little bit like uh, women that get these symptoms of menopause. For some women, they're practically debilitated with their signs and symptoms of menopause. I didn't even know I was going through menopause. I had a hot flash once or twice and I was done. Okay. So... Women experience things differently, okay? I do want to warn you that some moms think that they, unless their breasts are full and leaking, that they don't have enough milk, and that's just not true. But I also want to warn you that if you've had epidural anesthesia or analgesia, and you notice that your breasts, as well as your fingers and your toes and your feet and all body parts, are swollen because of all that IV fluid, 
Well, just remember, that's just fluid fluid. It's water fluid. And so your breasts may seem swollen the way that your fingers or your toes are, but that's just water fluid. It's not milk. So be sure that you have a clear understanding that when that fluid stuff goes away, that's not necessarily your milk going away. Okay, so you knew I was coming to the milk, right? This is probably the biggest thing that I have heard from almost every woman I have ever encountered who is nursing her baby. They will tell me that they don't have enough milk. All right, so let me take that on. Um, I think the real question here is, how much milk is enough milk? And notice that full and leaking is not the indicator, okay? But I do want to tell you that there are there are certainly women who have too much volume, but th- those don't happen very much. Usually it is that women are making milk. They tell me they don't have enough milk, but what they really mean is that they've misinterpreted how much milk they should have or how often their baby should be feeding. So let me just kind of summarize this for you here. In the first two to three days, that's when you have colostrum. By the way, that's real bona fide stuff, okay? It, it's not like junior milk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's real and it's, it's excellent. Mothers can have anywhere between 10 and 100 milliliters in a 24-hour period. So, and by the way, that's an average of about 30 milliliters per 24 hours. And that's really important, okay? 30 milliliters is what? Um, Six tablespoons. So to six tablespoons all day long. That's the average. And I would say in mothers that I've seen, that's about right. That sounds about right to me. So I'm giving you the science as well as my personal observations. Now, by day three or so, milk volume is about 120, excuse me, about 175 milliliters in a 24-hour period. Okay, do the math. That's about six ounces all day long, all day long, on about day three or so. Now, by the end of the week, milk volume output is about 600 milliliters in a 24-hour period. Uh, That's 20 ounces. And by the end of the month, you will find that you have even more milk. You have milk that is about 800 mils, milliliters in a 24-hour period. So that's uh, what? A little more than 26, almost 27 ounces in a 24-hour period. So don't get ahead of yourself here. Don't think that you don't have enough milk because maybe you just have an appropriate amount of milk for the time that you've got. And I I think, too, that's the other piece that goes with this is that people say, well, the baby is eating all the time. Well, yeah, on the second night, generally, she is eating all the time. And then there's other babies that keep eating because they really haven't had a good feed. Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have enough milk. You might have plenty of milk. Maybe she didn't get the milk. And those are two very, very separate issues. And I would say that's when you need to get professional help, all right? Because 
many mothers can't tell the difference between whether they've got the milk and when the baby is getting the milk. But I will tell you this, if the baby is getting the milk, you will see that she looks like she's had enough milk when she gets off the breast. She looks happy. And the other piece is uh, that you will feel that your breasts don't feel full anymore. If the baby does not look satisfied and if you do not feel like you're done, well, then maybe it's because you're not done. Okay. So that is a distinct possibility. All right. So those were the first seven concerns that I've seen when we come back. We're going to look at number eight, nine, and ten. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host. And we're here today talking about the 10 concerns that, in my experience, are the most common concerns of nursing mothers in the first 10 days. Okay, so we just got through talking about mother not having enough milk. And I forgot to tell you, the question really is, how much milk is enough milk? That's the question you should be asking yourself. And also, when? A day, a week, a month, what are we talking? So concern number eight is that the baby has too few, not enough, dirty diapers. So the question you should be asking yourself is, okay, well, how many dirty diapers should a baby have here? And when? Uh, Just for the record, by the way, I've heard all of these terms, poo, poop, poopy, feces, stool, my mother would say, my Italian mother would say, caca, whatever it is you're calling it where you are, but I think everybody understands what a dirty diaper is, okay? Well, here's the clunker. You know, so many parents have heard, oh, breastfed babies can go for days without having a dirty diaper. That's true, but, and this is hugely important and very much misunderstood, even in the professional community, That is not true in the first month, and certainly not in the first 10 days, okay? You could easily have a baby with 12 dirty diapers inside of, I don't know, first three or four four days, not the first day, okay? But by day three or four, yeah, you could easily end up with 12 dirty diapers. Trust me, I've changed them. I'm I'm pretty confident that's the case. Now... There's a boatload of research out there that shows how many stools babies are supposed to have. But I'm just going to tell it to you easy because this is easy to remember and it's pretty much right. In the first 24 hours, I want to see at least one stool and that's your sticky, icky, thicky, green, black, tarry meconium. Okay? By day two... I want to see at least two stools. By day three, I want to see at least three dirty diapers. By day four, I want to see four dirty diapers, and I want them to be a bright yellow and a soft consistency. If they are not yellow by day four, it usually means that you've got a little problem with jaundice. So, Those would be some parameters that I would give. All right, so the next question is, baby has too few wet diapers. Well, your question should be, how many wet diapers should a baby have and when? And by the way, here I've heard pee, pee pee, wee, wee wee, tinkle, piddle, urine, or in hospital lingo, void, any of those things, but I think that all constitutes a wet diaper. Now, here's the trouble. We've got in, in many, many books that babies are going to have six to eight wet diapers a day, meaning six to eight wet diapers in a 24-hour period. Uh, that's true, 
But that's not necessarily, in fact, it is not true in the first few days. So again, the scientific literature differs a little bit on this, but these are guidelines that I find that people can easily remember, and it is pretty much the truth. By day one, that, excuse me, within the first 24 hours, I want to see one wet diaper at least. If I see more than one, fine. By day two, I want to see at least two wet diapers. By day three, at least three wet diapers. More is fine, but I want to see at least. Now, by day four, I want to see four to six wet diapers. And by day five or six, now you should be seeing six to eight wet diapers every day. And those wet diapers, the urine should look like straw color. I'm trying to think of something else other than straw for those of you who might not necessarily be looking at straw. Uh, but, but it's a very light, light yellow. If it starts to look amber colored, like an orangey colored, that is not good. That means the urine is too concentrated. So you should see this really light colored urine. All right. If you get all of that together, you're probably good to go. So that brings us then to number 10. And that is Around day seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around in there, the baby wants to have an all-night smorgasbord all over again, just like day two. Okay, well, likely as not, that's probably a growth spurt. And it's tough to say when a baby's going to have a growth spurt. I don't know, they're all kind of different. But I would say typically the first growth spurt is around seven to ten days. And if that's the case, then your baby will want to be nursing constantly. And you'll feel like his stomach is a bottomless pit and you just can't fill him up. Okay. No worries. Just keep nursing. It's going to be okay. Whatever you do, don't give a supplement. Why so? Because you want your body to get the message that they're supposed to be making more milk. And the only way that your body gets that message is when that baby is attached to you and Suckle, suckle, suckling, okay? Remember, milk supply is based on demand. Now, the question that you might be wondering is, oh, Marie, that's really great, but like how long am I going to have to put up with this? Um, it really depends. It depends on your baby and yourself and so forth, but I think I can give you my ironclad guarantee. I have never seen it take any longer than 72 hours. So you should expect that somewhere maybe between about 48 and 72 hours, your body will catch up. And it says, oh, ding, 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 I need to be making more milk. Okay? So that's what that's all about. And uh, it's okay. And maybe we'll have more growth spurts for sure. All right. So before we close out today, then, I am going to summarize for you what I believe to be the 10 concerns that mothers have in the first 10 days. Number one, baby is too sleepy or doesn't latch. Number two, baby cries continually, won't sleep or won't latch. Number three, baby loses weight in the first few days. Number four, uh, baby has jaundice 
and you're worried about how the baby is going to be doing with the nursing and the jaundice. Number five, mother's nipples are sore. Number six, mother has engorgement. And you should remember now, everybody experiences that a little differently. Number seven, mother thinks she doesn't have enough milk, which is not necessarily the same as actually not having enough milk. So, you know, get clear on that. Number eight, baby has too few dirty diapers. Number nine, baby has too few wet diapers. And number 10, baby wants to nurse frequently around seven to 10 days. So that's what I believe to be the things that I've uh, encountered the most frequently. And I've tried there to give you the right questions to ask. If you ask yourself those questions, and if you keep in mind that some of this is day-dependent or even hour-dependent, you'll be in good shape. Thank you so much for joining me today. As usual, I'm delighted that you're here. I'm delighted that you can join me. Uh, Join me again next week, uh, and I will have another show for you. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. We'll be right back.